and of course I ended up on a labor camp. And while being there, I experienced all kinds of cruel stuff. One day an officer brought me into a little room and then they asked me, do you really believe that you are Christian, you will never fight and never pick up arms? They said, yes, I do. So he called in a small little Muslim guy and asked him to hit out one of my teeth. Then next night, next tooth, next night, next tooth. And always saying, we'll see how much Christian you are. In the time being, I started to hate that little Muslim. And I started to suffer under my disability not to love that person. And then I still remember 1975, it was right in front of the Eastern celebration. I was called in and the officer said, it's Good Friday today. And then he says, here you have a day of time. Go and check on your own attitude and your beliefs. And if you stick to it, then we'll kill you. But you may change your mind. And then you just say, no, I don't want to believe any longer. And then we will release you. I went on my own to a certain place with lots of grass, high grass, and I fell into that grass and I started to cry tears. I said, Lord, how comes I can't love that Muslim? You know, you died for me and I'm not able to lose a couple of teeth for this guy. So I, I just hate the person. And please forgive me and please help me to love those people, even if they want to kill me. And so while I'm praying, the Holy Spirit fell on me with such a power. Yeah, I couldn't stand anymore on my knees, so I broke down and laying on the ground, crying tears. I was felt with an incredible love. And then hours later, I was invited to the same officer, a big guy. He asked me, have you decided? I said, yes, I have decided and I will stick to my faith. I, I'm still believing in Jesus. I'm not going to pick up any arms. So then he showed me his feast and he says, now I'm going to hit you and I will kill you. His face flies into my face and some stops somewhere just near my eyes. And then this guy starts to yell at me and he says, why are you loving me, you crazy guy? Obviously, he felt a change in atmosphere and so he couldn't hit me. I learned my lesson. You see, loving Jesus and loving people gives you an incredible power. And you are able to go through life and death because you have a message to tell people. Hello and welcome to the All Things Reconciled podcast, where we want to inspire and equip you to embody and embrace the ministry of reconciliation in your local contexts. I'm your host, Jeanette Boom, and joining me is Phil Wagler from Peace and Reconciliation Network. Hi, Jeanette. Thanks. It's great to be together with you and in this third episode of a little series here built around the life of reconciliation. We began with listening to the story, an incredible story of Johannes Reimer, who's the director of the World Evangelical Alliance's public engagement department. Uh, and and then in the second episode, we, we dove down into some of the social political implications of peace and reconciliation and family. Of course, that made it very personal because we're desiring in this 
series that all of us start to think about what it means to be everyday reconcilers, because every Christian has this task. It's not just the task of a select few or a Johannes who's gone all around the world. But what I was really struck by in the first episode, Jeanette, and wonder what you're thinking about this, was just the sense where Johannes said, it's very unlikely that somebody like me should be doing this or be having this conversation with you because of where he started out his life, born really in captivity for all intents and purposes. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about all the little places, you know, where our lives begin and start and the little families that we we start with, we might have tons of cousins or no cousins, or we might be displaced from the people that we would consider family. But in many ways, we're all like the most unlikely to be involved in this. Uh, that, that's always the first thing I was starting to think about when I was listening to him. What, what were you thinking about? Yeah, it's so true. And it's really inspiring for, I feel like, every one of our listeners to understand that God uses the least likely. And we see this all throughout the Bible. We see the disciples that Jesus chose. We see the bloodline that Jesus came from. We see actually Israel as coming out of Egypt and wanting to go back. In every single area of the Bible, you see how God chooses the least likely. And you see how he reconciles not only them, but their stories. And so I Our stories are ones that can become powerful tools of reconciliation in our community. So any areas where you may feel in your life where your history, your experiences, who you are unqualifies you, know it's God who qualifies you and he qualifies all those areas of your life. Yeah, I, I was thinking very personally about a number of the things that Johannes was talking about in both those previous episodes And he said something back in the first one, he was suffering because of his inability to love another person, that Uh he was suffering because of his inability, because of his, I think he might have even used the word disability. And I was reflecting on that in the, the small spheres of influence that I have in my own life. I can expect of other people things that maybe just require love. But it's not kind of the trite love or kind of more selfish love that our culture speaks of. This suffering love, which Johannes himself was living in that moment when he was being persecuted for his faith and learning to love the person who was beating him up. And thinking, you know, as having been a pastor as well, the deep ways in which even the life of the local church can suffer because of our disability in loving in loving one another and and really knowing the love of God for us. And then that, what that love can look like or feel like for others. Mm -hmm. I would also be really like curious to hear your take right now. It's such a tough time to be a pastor. There's so many challenges that we are facing and how do you continue walking in that love as a pastor um, while guiding your congregation in your church? (laughs) Hmm. There shall be books written about that over the next (laughs) few years. Well, in the second episode, Johannes said the church needs to stay the church. And I think the call of pastoral leadership, whether it's, you know, vocational and some smaller churches, it's it's volunteer pastors or a team, you know, it's a church board, church leadership team, whatever the, the particular structure is. Sometimes we forget that the task of the, leadership gifts of the church 
is to actually help the church remain the church. Because it's easy to become something else, even to drift into building a great organization, running great programs. And those things are can be helpful. They have a place if they're aimed in the right direction. But for the church to stay the church requires servants, not even leaders. I don't even want to use that word. It requires servants who keep the vision and the gaze of the church centered on what it, the local church centered on what it means to be the church for the particular moment in time that they find themselves in. And so all around the world, I think that is the challenge. And Johannes flagged that the church needs to stay the church. When the church understands that, you know, Ephesians 4 says we contend for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. <laughs> we're, actually, we're, we're actually fighting to maintain this thing which God himself accomplished in Christ. We're not inventing the church. The church is mm-hmm. God's. <laughs> the church is, the, the unity of the church isn't something we have to create. It's something that exists because it's the body of Christ. And our, our task is to maintain that, contend for it, fight for it. Uh, that's one of the pieces I've been seeking to live, but also understand more deeply in a season like this. I was wondering for you, Jeanette, how did what you, you know, you, you, the questions about family, the questions about the everyday reconciling realities of our lives, how did that part hit you? You asked some actually quite a few questions around that family piece. I just wonder where that's interacting with you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we all long to have the peaceful, cohesive family experience. And I don't think anybody has that. I mean, talk to previous generations who saw the show Leave It to Beaver or like all those family shows that popped up where you saw the perfect family and you're just like, oh, I want that. But it just seems to never exist. The thing that I had to learn in in my own story of reconciliation and its continual is actually walking out. What does reconciliation actually look like? How is this practically applied in my life? And uh, what I really learned is that for a long time, I kind of, I carried around this narrative and this victim identity that just doesn't belong to me as a Christian. So I had to walk through some stages of forgiveness. And I think often we look at ourselves as victims of situations. We all do. But in terms of family, we know that God has created us for a purpose. Jesus came at a specific time in a specific family, in a specific location for a specific purpose. And Johannes touched Mm. on that, the purpose of Jesus. So we know that God is specific and he's purposeful. And we know that the Bible says that we're intricately formed in our mother's womb. So that means that he chose our parents. He chose our location. He chose our bodies, our gender, our homes. And it's painful for us to sit with that sometimes. It's hard to reconcile with that because often we're just like, but God, but God. You don't know what they're really like. But God, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) right? It's so much easier to feel like a helpless victim of our situations. But in my journey, I learned that God specifically placed me in my family. And not only that, but I look back to the generations and generations before me as being intricately created into my own design and my own story, not only through DNA, but through experiences, 
So in terms of my own personal woundings, because we all have woundings from family, no matter how perfect or far from perfect they were, I looked at reconciliation in terms of this purposeful and specific plan and this connectivity to all my generations. I was able to see my parents in the light of their childhood and their experiences of their parents. And then I went back to my grandparents and explored those experiences as well. That sounds like it takes a lot of work. It takes time and you (laughs) have to be curious. But when you look back, it will be interesting because you'll be able to establish a pattern. And I really challenge our listeners to do that, to look back in the generations of families and establish patterns. And you will see, like I saw, trauma and woundings in many areas. Mm. And parenting, generational history of parenting comes from places of trauma and wounding. And whatever mistakes my parents made, I was able to then see from the light of the mistakes made to them and so forth, instead of just seeing it from mistakes made to me. And whatever celebrations we had, I was able to see from places that they learned from their own woundings. Their woundings taught them lessons on how to parent. And sometimes it meant mistakes and some pain, but never intentional. It was so interesting. One time when God was asking me um, to walk through the process of forgiveness, I thought, God, like teach me how. Just like Johannes, he, he got on his knees and he prayed, God, teach me how to love. I was like, God, teach me how to love. And uh, God reminded me, Jenny, why are there multiple forms of degrees of murder within our judicial system? And I was just like, oh, well, there's first degree, there's second degree, there's third degree murder. And I thought, why is that? And it's because there are different ways in which people murder based on intention. So there's accidental murder, unintentional murder, and then there is intentional murder. But what God showed me was that in no way was any harm done to me intentional. Now, it may feel like murder in many senses. You know, you feel like, oh, well, my dreams were murdered and my childhood may have been murdered and this area may have been murdered and my hopes may have been murdered. But really, if we look at it from this sense, if we look at our families in childhood this way as just deeply loving it in the best way they knew how through the experiences that they knew how through the history that they knew how through the trauma and the woundings that they navigated through, we understand that we're not victims Hmm. and things have not been stolen or murdered from us, but that we are just impacted by our generational history. My dad once told me his ceiling is my floor. How can I make him proud that every decision that he's ever made, good or bad, was worth it and will reflect the character that we desire our family to be known for? So history on my dad, my dad was a first generation Christian. He had much to overcome and fight for. He and his sister brought his parents to faith. So we have history of drug abuse and alcoholism and and just family struggles that were very normal back then for a non-Christian family, losing parents at a young age and having to go to work at a very young age. All of this was this history that my dad then came and transformed through faith in Jesus. So were my parents perfect? No, but with all the genuine love they had, they poured it out. And that's been my story of forgiveness and reconciliation and how much I love my family. Yeah, that's awesome. And it really does 
underlying this piece that Johannes was talking about that we're after in this little series is a life of reconciliation. Well, we can think about nations with Johannes. We talked about Ukraine and Russia, massive stuff to solve, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in many of our lives, it can feel no less challenging to solve the stuff in our homes, in our churches. As you were talking, this intergenerational trauma piece, and you know, in Canada, we're aware of the impact of that because of the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples and the history that uh, we're seeking to walk together toward in a healing way. But I actually think Canada's unique, right? Because Canada is a very, very interesting social experiment because we are a country of multiple peoples who have mm -hmm. often come from other places in the world. Most people who came to Canada, some came because they chose to and said, we're going to go there and make a life. But many people and families, family groups, people groups came to Canada fleeing some type of trauma. So now you throw us all together in the same four, five, 6,000 kilometer breadth, throw us all within a few hundred kilometers of the U.S. border, and we're still trying to figure out how do we do this as a country. And so that is also real in our churches, um, the coming together of peoples from very different backgrounds. I've often asked when I've spoke at churches on behalf of the Peace and Reconciliation Network, I'll ask the question, where, where are you all from? And you start to realize that, man, there's people in this room, they're part of the same church. But if you'd go back, even sometimes less than a generation or a few generations, these are people who are part of groups of families, people groups, fit countries that would have killed each other. <laughs> they would have yes. seen each other as the enemy. And yet now they're united in a body of Christ, in a local church, the body of Christ. But we haven't always understood that that actually might be impacting a church conflict. It might be impacting the way somebody is parenting, like you described. It might be impacting the way somebody is doing economically. All these pieces that we need to come to understand with one another and to realize the depth of the power of the gospel where the cross breaks down these dividing walls, what Jesus did for us. And there is this new thing that has been breathed into existence in the church. So this life of reconciliation is enormously practical. You know, for Johannes, it's knowing how to respond when he's being pun literally punched in the mouth in the Soviet Union. Uh, for you, for me, it's, it's other things, perhaps less dramatic, um, and yet no less real and no less necessary if we're to experience wholeness and a flourishing life and life to the full, which is God's intention. So I, I've been deeply inspired by this. And, you know, my, my own personal story for my wife and I is we're an adoptive family. We're, we're, we're trying to bring different cultures together. We're trying to figure out how to attach to, to kids that are amazing, like literally amazing, and who don't always know us yet, right, in some ways, or, or know if they can trust us. So it gets very very practical. The gospel is so beautifully practical and powerful. Yeah, you have the very real challenges that we face in church in your own family because you have children from very different cultures as well. So you have those challenges to face as well as major rejection issues. And it's just like, how do we shine the light of the gospel in these areas? How do we create 
gospel-centered families and engage each other and make them feel safe. And this is the work, and it's the work of the Spirit. Johannes underlined that, you've underlined that, and what you said earlier, there's this mysterious, powerful thing the Spirit of God does when a human being, and then in a community, a group of human beings, say, Spirit of God, lead us, teach us, show us. This leads to the life of reconciliation. It ultimately must, because it's what God is and who he is and what he's about. So ah, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you, Jeanette. It's a pleasure always to share this with you. You know, I think coming out of the series, we learned that there are very practical components to being socially and politically involved that go against the idea of red flag politics or red flag social engagement. It's not about going against the world, but it's about being and creating a new culture, that kingdom culture, and embodying that in our own lives and in our own families and in our own experiences, but then be knowing that we can't do it on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, that moment that Johannes prayed, it changed him. That moment that I prayed for revelation, it changed me. Those moments that you pray on how to parent, it changes you. And in any area for our listeners, I would encourage you that we need both like the practicalities, but most of all, we need the Holy Spirit who reveals he's our teacher and our guide. And just ask the Holy Spirit, what are areas where you're struggling to forgive? Where are areas you feel like God is calling you into your community and you feel that you are underqualified, just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, to empower and give you that courage and he will. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to the All Things Reconciled podcast. This is the podcast of the Peace and Reconciliation Network and we're very glad you joined us. I'm Phil Wagler. And I'm Jeanette Boom. Please tell your friends and even your enemies about this podcast and other great EFC podcasts. You can follow PRN on Facebook, donate to this work through the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada using the code WEAPRN, or check out our website at reconciledworld.net. Go in peace today. And go make peace every day.